0: Belief in Jesus that changes the way you live your life. That is the goal of the Bible's recollections of Jesus' miracles. The reason his miraculous deeds of power are written down is so that we would believe in him and believing in him would change the way we live entirely, change everything about the way we walk through life day by day. Toward the end of the Gospel of John, the author states it very directly. Look at these words. This is John 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that through believing, you may have life in his name. There were many things that Jesus did. Some of them were written down and others were not. The ones that were written in this book were written for a reason. With you and with me in mind so that we would see the things that he had done and that seeing those things would change the way that we live through faith, that we would believe something specific that we hadn't believed before about Jesus and that believing would change our experience of life. Each one, each one of Jesus' deeds of power was put down so that today you and I would trust Jesus on account of what we see. Now, immediately after this explanation... In chapter 20, John puts down one last sign that Jesus performed, and it's the one that we'll take our time with today, and it happens to be the very last Sunday on which we'll focus our attention on the miracles of Jesus. There'll be something new next week, but we've picked this one as the last because it's the last one that John records, and what we're going to do together is look at it, asking this question, how might things change for me? if I believe in Jesus through what I see? How would my life be different if I took to heart what I see here? Let me just say right up front, what we're going to see is that Jesus wants every kind of person to come to him. I've spilled the beans. (laughs) Jesus wants every kind of person to come to him, and the way he accomplishes that is through disciples who trust him. What if we see this and believe. That's the guiding question. Let's look at this last sign of his. Chapter 21 begins like this. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Okay, John tells us what's going to happen next is all about Jesus revealing himself. He wants his people to see Him, because when they see Him, they change. And this is how He showed Himself this last time. Verse 2, gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of His disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to Him, we will go with you. We have our characters and our setting. The characters are disciples whose lives had changed completely because of their experience with Jesus. Some three years earlier, everything turned around for these guys. You can read their stories yourselves. What you'll see is that they left skepticism behind. They decided not to trust their doubt as much as this teacher that they went with. They dropped their fishing nets and they left their boats behind to go on this adventure with the rabbi Jesus. That's our characters, the setting is the same place where these guys used to catch fish before they met Jesus. The Sea of Tiberias, also the Sea of Galilee, same thing. They're back to their old job of fishing. And the reason that they are there is because of, from their perspective, their adventures with Jesus had apparently come to an end. As far as they could see. Their time of walking with him was behind them, because in Jerusalem, they saw him get arrested, they saw him crucified, he rose from the dead and appeared to them twice, but now they're back at their old tasks, the old grind of work, because as far as they can tell, that period of their lives close together with Jesus is a memory, and so they're back at work. And before we go further, if we're going to see the sign that John wants us to see, we have to put ourselves in their position. They are not fishing because they like fishing. Does anyone in here like to fish? I do. This is work for them. This is back at the grind. And if you're a student, it's uh, at the beginning of the semester. If you're a person who commutes into the city, you're on the train on the way in. This is not fun. And, and I pause here because you must hear this. Most of your life as a disciple is going to happen in the ordinary events of your life just like this. Not in the spectacular moments on Sunday when you're thinking, this is the best church I've ever been to in my life. (laughs) Not, Not then. But when it's the middle of the week. And it seems to you that Jesus is behind you back there in the past. That's when discipleship happens. Okay, look at verse three. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. This is not only back at work, it's back at work when things aren't going well at work. This is the disappointment of not being shoulder to shoulder with that rabbi who they loved and who they gave up everything to go along with, but it's you worked really hard for the first quarter and the earnings report was miserable. This is you studied for the final exam and you worked really hard and you covered every bit of content except for the last chapter and more than half of the final exam is on the last chapter. Not that I have any experience with this. This is you invested in those friends and they let you down. This is you tried really hard to be a good parent, but the kids went off in the wrong direction anyway. That's where this is happening. In that moment, you have to be there, by the way. You have to put yourself there if you're going to see the sign that happens in this miracle. In that moment... You will be tempted to think, if you are a disciple, you will be tempted to say to yourself, if only Jesus were here again, then it would be different. Can anyone here who is a disciple admit to that thought coming into your mind more than once? Yes or no? If only he were close by, then things would have gone better at work or the relationship wouldn't have fallen apart like it did. That will be a temptation for you to think. And in that moment, when certainly these fishermen are thinking that, they're coming back into shore. Watch what happens. This is verse 4. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. I Remember, John is showing us this. So we see Jesus. And so seeing him will believe. What might we believe if we see Jesus here, listen, we would believe that sometimes because of the failures in our lives, because we haven't seen him for a while, because things aren't going our way, sometimes we'll think Jesus has left us alone and, and he's not with us at all and this teaches us that maybe we shouldn't trust our vision in moments like that that he comes to disciples and is present with them even though they don't know that he's there. He is right there with him. He is never far from any disciples. That's the truth about Jesus. When a person decides to trust him and walk with him, though they go through periods of time where because of life's circumstances, he seems far away, he's close by. He's not far away ever. That's what we're seeing here. This is exactly the place, listen now, where a miracle is going to happen. In the ordinary moments of failure where Jesus seems to be distant, he's about to reveal to those disciples and to these disciples gathered here together, if we'll see it, something that we need to see to know how to believe in him. Verse five, this is what happens. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. Can you kind of tell what's going to happen next? (laughs) Like if you've never been in church before, you know what's going to happen, right? Right? They're going to throw it out there and there's going to be a lot of fish and that's true. And if you've heard the story before, you're thinking, well, I know where this goes. Would you slow down for a minute, please? Because you'll miss something, something critical, if you go too quick here. Jesus is going to make a miracle happen. He's going to do something that only he can do, but he's not going to do it without the disciples doing something which only they can do. That's good the underwater interference, moving the fish around under the waves, only God can do that. Jesus is gonna do that, but that will not mean any fish are caught unless the disciples gather their nets and drop them over the right side just like Jesus told them to. Only they can do that, and the truth is they are only going to see this miracle if they obey Jesus. This is the first lesson that I think God really wants us to take to heart related to miracles, and it is that there are some miracles which will only happen when we do what Jesus tells us to do. Here, try this out. Are there any broken relationships in your life that are so broken that you think, it would take a miracle to fix that relationship. Are there any like that? Yeah. Do you know that the miracle of that relationship being restored, well, it requires you to do what Jesus says, forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Jesus says that. If you choose not to obey that command of his, which you are free to do, you should not be surprised that that miracle will never happen. But when you do, when you open your heart and forgive, then there is... A place for Jesus' miracle to restore what otherwise would be irreconcilable. Do you see it? How about this one? Do you have any relationships where the divide between you and that other person over ideas or ideology or outlooks on the divisive issues in our time keep you impossibly far apart? And harmony between you two, that would take a miracle, right? Do not judge. That's Jesus said that. Uh, Take the log out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of their eye, the miracle of harmony between you and that other person or between this group and that group, that miracle will require simple obedience to Jesus' command. And friends, though there are some miracles that happen apart from us and without any participation on our part, there are many, and I think this is obviously one of them, where the only way the miraculous takes place is when the disciples decide to obey Jesus' simple and clear commands. Do you see the connection between obedience? in the miracle? I need to know better than that or I'm not going to keep going. (laughs) Here are some other things that Jesus says. Tell the truth. Do what you say you're going to say you're going to do and keep your word. Uh, Don't give yourself over to lust. Control yourself. Be faithful to your commitments. Shun greed and stop always trying to acquire more and more. In fact, be generous, especially to those who are needy. Don't worry, tell God about your anxiety and then trust Him. Every one of those. Imperatives comes from Jesus, a simple command that is within the realm of possibility to obey, whether we see the miraculous power of Jesus operative in our experience will depend on whether we do what he says, and sometimes the things that he tells us to do will seem impossible and, in fact, ridiculous. Some of those do. How about this one? Pray for your enemies. Does that seem ridiculous? It would have seemed absurd to those professional fishermen as they were on their way in from a night of failed fishing to put their nets back out. The fish don't feed in the daytime when the sun's up, they're done eating. But in this moment, they have a choice to make. Will they do what Jesus said or not? And in this case, you know where this is going. They do what Jesus says. But the outcome embodies a lesson for you and for me. And it shows us, that sometimes obedience is an indispensable ingredient in the miraculous, verse six. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. Success, just as Jesus promised, they did what Jesus said, which only they could do. And Jesus directs the fish to the right spot, which only he can do. And there is a miracle. Now, remember this. Miracles are signs. If this is your first Sunday with us, um, I covered this in, in the weeks behind us, but listen now. A miracle is a sign that points disciples like us to something beyond itself. This catch of fish is not just for itself. It's to direct the attention of those disciples and these disciples to something true, which can only be seen when we look through the miraculous experiences that they encountered. When we look through this, what do we see? What what is given to us to understand? You may think, aha, this one teaches that following Jesus is good for business. No, it might be, it might not be. That's not the point here. Uh, There's a much deeper lesson here for those disciples and for us about the ultimate goal of their obedience combined with Jesus' power. And it's not just for them, it's for us. There is an ultimate outcome that God has in mind when you obey Jesus and his power combines with your obedience to make something new happen in the world. And and, and I step aside here for a moment because this is as big as it gets. This is... God's ultimate will being revealed in Jesus for them at the very end. It's the last big lesson that he's going to teach them about what comes if they will obey him and his power will be experienced in their lives. And I want us to get this as individuals but also as a church. I saved this one miracle for the last in this series because this is the big idea that I hope will guide me as your pastor and us all together. And the lesson comes through one detail, which John shares. And John shares lots of details, and they're all meaningful. Let's keep going and pay attention to the details. Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked, no comment, (laughs) and jumped into the sea. That's seriously, that's not the detail that matters. I don't know why it's there. He jumped into the sea, but the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far off from land, only about a hundred yards off, Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to shore because now that he knows it's Jesus, he wants to get there. The others bring the boat in with the fish and they come to shore. Verse nine, when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there. That is a very important detail. And that's another message with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. 153 fish and the net was not torn. This is the point to which this sign directs the attention of those disciples and ours too, if we take our time, the meaning is in this number 153. I'm looking for a... I'm starting to leak. (laughs) I got it, I got it. For hundreds of years, interpreters have had a field day with that number. What does it mean? 153. For the most part... Speculation always comes back to some obscure theological point that is made through some circuitous mathematical route. And you can look at these yourselves in the history of interpretation. My personal favorite is the one who recognized that 153 is the sum of the numbers 17, 16, 15, 14, all the way to the number one. You add those all up, it's 153. If you represent that number graphically with 17 dots and then 16 above and 15 above that, what do you get at the end? A perfect triangle. Clearly, this represents the Trinity. To me, I can't imagine Jesus making that point to these guys in that way. Can you? (laughs) They are neither speculative theologians nor are they mathematicians. What are they? They're fishermen. There is an ancient epic poem on fishing called Haleutica. and it was written by Opion Silix. It was published shortly after Jesus' time, but what it captures is the general wisdom on fishing in the first century. It has five volumes. The first volume of Haliutica contains a catalog of all the known species of fish in the world at that time, 153 of them. If a fisherman were able to catch one of every kind of fish, leaving no kinds of fish out, they would have 153 of them. Do you see the point? The goal of Jesus' miraculous power combined with the disciples' obedience is that nobody ever would be left out from being brought into the presence of Jesus. That's what Jesus wants. There is no kind of sinner that is not welcomed in the presence of this master. There is no kind of skeptic who has to believe before being welcomed. There is no one who has failed in such a way that she is no longer able to come and have a meal with this master after a night of fishing. There is absolutely no kind of person whom Jesus does not want the disciples to bring into his presence. Why? Because in the presence of Jesus, there is life. And it's the only place where there's life. And the only way that the life that Jesus brought into the world will come is when his disciples do what he says, even when it seems strange to them, and when they're willing to throw the nuts out the other side of the boat, even though they've always thought this is the way to do it, and if they'll do that, then they're gonna find some weird species. Some kinds of people they would never have thought would be in their fellowship. Can you tell I'm feeling it right now? Can I tell you why? Because... The most magnificent and beautiful thing that I've seen in my 30 years of working with people as a pastor is the way in which the least likely characters become the most brilliant followers of the master Jesus. Because of the way his grace and mercy changes those who are simply brought to him when disciples simply obey him. If we believe in Jesus through what we see here in this miracle and choose to let that belief change our way of living in the world, what happens? When we become disciples who play our part in bringing people to Jesus through his miraculous power, not ours, through his miraculous power, which operates in our everyday lives, not here in our religious gatherings, but at work, at school, at home, around the kitchen table, believing and trusting in him, what will will happen? Here, I've got three steps to enumerate for us as individuals and as a church altogether. And, And these are as simple and as concrete as possible because I want this to make a difference. The first change is we will obey Jesus if we believe this. Think again of those disciples coming off the water after catching no fish, even though Jesus' instructions would have seemed odd, even when it feels like Jesus is far away, even when all we can see is our failure, if we take this to heart, then we'll do what Jesus says to do, like the disciples did in this story. That is the first step in being people who bring every kind of person into the presence of Jesus. Okay, not at the Bible study or when you're gathered for Christian fellowship, but when you're at work or when you're at home around the kitchen table in the ordinary moments of life, love your enemies and pray for them. Do it. Be humble and kind and gentle, not argumentative and aggressive and mean. I like that. If someone asks you to go a mile, do you know what Jesus says? Go to. I know what you'll do. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they're asking me to do this. What's wrong with them? I can't. No. I'm so thankful that you were tickled by that. (laughs) Love the people who God has put right in your circle, your, your daughters, your sons, your parents. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Step one for having our part In Jesus' miraculous power is obey Jesus. Second, we will be creative. And this is a unique virtue of this particular miraculous sign. Maybe we've always been casting the net off of the left side, but if we listen to Jesus, it will require us to decide to do things in a new way that we have not done before. We have to be willing to throw the net off the other side. Maybe you've only ever invited people to church who have been burned by religion in the past and they're so bitter about churches they never accept. How about trying to invite someone who's never been to any church at all, who has no faith and doesn't even believe in God? Maybe that's your net on the other side. Maybe you've always been trying to bring people to church, and instead, you should bring the church to them. I love when people go, hmm. Not your own little worship service out there, but the kindness and hospitality and love of Jesus in your own home. Host a dinner. Have a party. Ask people to come over and, and celebrate together. And, and, and maybe you can tell them if they ask, I'm doing this because I, I feel so thankful for who Jesus is in my life, but I just want to have a party. You're invited and be a good witness in your neighborhood. And that's over the other side. That second, we'll be creative. Third thing is that we will make room. We'll make room for difference and trust that the net won't tear. That is definitely a detail that John included for a reason. Disciples are constantly guilty of thinking if that kind of person comes into the net, it's going to tear. Well that's not up to us to worry about. It's not. It's, 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 we work for the master fisherman and he can manage the nets and he will. And we definitely need to hear this in our day, in our church. It is the most sadly divided time that any of us have ever seen in our culture and in our world. And it gets right into the hearts of people who love Jesus too. To think that kind of person, net would tear. No, we will make room. Uh, Maybe our church will see some new fish in it, some new species, the kinds of Christians that have not been gathered here with us and with Jesus. If so, we will trust that the net won't tear, and we will make room for every kind of person that Jesus is gathering in and trust Jesus with the guest list. Would you do it? Yeah. All right. Friends, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the gift of your word which illuminates the truth to us that we need to see. We thank you for the way that you encourage us, the way you draw us to yourself, the way you inform us and help us grow as we spend time in scripture. And I pray that this morning for having gathered together here, each and every one of us would believe in you, that we would trust ourselves into your hands and that believing we would have life in your name. And I ask that we would be men and women who are more ready to obey you, who are more willing to be creative in the way that we are your disciples. And I pray that we would make room for every kind of person that you want to draw to yourself. God, I'm so thankful for the gift of being a part of this church. I pray that you would continue to build us all up so that we would become folks who are inviting and inspiring to others and that we would love and serve you together in a way that would bring joy to you and many to come to know and love you. And we ask for this in Jesus' name, amen.